Welcome to OK-ish, a podcast all about mental health in the modern world. I'm Mary Ellen Dance, a licensed mental health therapist, here to strip away misunderstandings about therapy and share exactly what I do in an honest way. Don't worry, you won't hear inspirational quotes or be told to spend more time doing self-care. I'm here to get to the real stuff using my own experiences as a therapist and as a really messy human being. Come and laugh at yourself with me as you learn not how to become great, but how to become okay-ish. Hello. Thanks for being here with me today. I want to chat about something pretty serious today. Two days ago, March 1st, was Self-Harm Awareness Day. I realized that since starting this podcast, I have yet to talk about self-harm. And unfortunately, it's kind of a really prevalent and really necessary thing to talk about. So what better time to do that than right around Self-Harm Awareness Day? But before I get into that, I'm your host, Mary Ellen. I'm so glad you're with me here today. And if you want to chat more about topics on the podcast or questions you have or podcast ideas, whatever it may be, the best place to reach out is my Instagram. I'm at Mary Ellen Dance. Also, before we get too deep into chatting about self-harm, before we do anything else, I want to let you know that the self-harm hotline can be reached by texting HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. All right, now that that's out of the way and we all know that hotline, which is very important to know, let's dive right into this oh-so-uplifting topic. (laughs) So most of us have probably heard of cutting. Yes, that sometimes people, most often teens, will cut themselves. But a lot of our knowledge, I've realized, stops there. And that's why there's a whole day, which was two days ago, March 1st, about self-harm awareness. Because we need to be aware of what it means and that it's actually a lot more complicated and in-depth than simple cutting. Obviously, that's where I come in with some helpful facts. So let's start out with a few facts about self-harm. The first fact I want to share is that self-harm is not suicidal behavior. Self-harm and suicidal gestures are different things. It's very rare that someone will engage in self-harm behaviors as a form of wanting to commit suicide. They're different. And stay tuned, I will chat about suicide in later episodes because, again, unfortunately, that's fairly prevalent. So with that being said, in the psychology world, self-harm is most often called NSSI or non-suicidal self-injury, right? There are suicidal behaviors and gestures, but that's not what we're talking about with self-harm today. Self-harm is non-suicidal self-injury. Self-harm or self-injury most commonly looks like cutting wrists, which we all probably have heard of, or cutting other parts of the body. I've actually seen a lot of cutting on thighs because thighs are easily like covered up with clothing. Usually cutting happens with a razor or a knife. Self-injury can also look like burning, scratching oneself, hitting oneself, banging one's head against something, picking at hair, which is also known as a disorder called trichotillomania. Yes, the most prevalent is cutting. However, it's hard to do studies on this to find out like the true numbers because studies are often based on self-disclosure and there's always an element of 
dishonesty with that. But from what we do know, it's estimated that self-harm usually begins in adolescence and is more common in females, but that it doesn't necessarily discriminate across race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or any of that. The most recent studies I found said that about like 15% of college students have tried self-harm at least once. And like I said, even though self-harm is different than suicidal behavior, they are linked. So there's a higher prevalence of those who have self-harmed in the past that will commit suicide later in life or attempt suicide later in life. There's also, I promise this is the last fact I'll share. Sorry, I've been going on and on about facts. But there's also a positive correlation between those who self-harm and those who struggle with eating disorders. Those go hand in hand a lot, which makes sense, unfortunately. Eating disorders are, in a way, another way of just harming the body, So it makes sense that those two kind of go together often. What we call that in the psychology world is that they're comorbid. They happen together. All right, all right. So now that I've given my fun little facts, actually not fun facts, but that we understand kind of a background and that self-harm is a little bit more than just cutting, we get to go into the real stuff. Self-harm is honestly super confusing and weird like it's not really discussed very often because it's uncomfortable right it's uncomfortable to be like hey have you ever purposely harmed yourself that's uncomfortable as a therapist I ask that question that's usually one of my intake questions when I first meet clients I have to go through a list of lots of questions to assess for safety and other possible concerns like medical concerns, drug and alcohol concerns, stuff like that. And so asking if they've ever harmed themselves is a question that I've gotten used to asking. But it's not something we really like talk about outside the therapy room. So much of the time, people are uncomfortable talking about it, right? Because they link it with suicide. And although, yeah, there is a link, it's not the same. And a lot of the time, people may either be, unfortunately, very good at hiding their self-harm, which we'll talk about in a minute, or if you know someone is self-harming, like, what do you say? Our thoughts often naturally go to wanting to ask if they want to kill themselves, but like I've said, that's not why people self-harm. So it's awkward, and I think it doesn't get talked about enough because people don't know what to say. Again, why I'm here. So why do people self-harm? I'm really glad you asked. There's three main reasons. And when I say there's three main reasons, there are definitely more reasons, right? Varying person to person. But today I'm going to talk about three big like categories of reasons that are really common. So we already know that suicide is not one of the reasons. But the first reason I want to talk about today is to seek attention, Now, this is debated a lot in the psychology world because, yes, self-harm can be used to seek attention, but saying that or classifying it as that or confronting that can be really invalidating and dangerous. So if a mental health professional says, oh, you know, don't worry about the self-harm, like they're just doing it to seek attention, well, that can be really dangerous. And also, let's say that the reason is to seek attention. That's still not a healthy 
way to seek attention, but it shows that there's something going on that needs to be attended to, right? Maybe it's not depression, but rather a personality disorder or some other type of diagnosis, but it should not be written off as they're trying to seek attention. Because even if that person is, that means they need attention for some reason. And we, meaning their loved ones, mental health professionals, need to figure out that reason and figure out what's going on. So an example of this is I had a client many, many years ago who was self-harming. She was cutting. And it was really interesting because her self-harm appeared really attention-seeking. And by that, I mean she would cut her wrists in the bathroom at school. And then, like, not do anything to hide it. It almost seems like she was kind of, like, showing off the scars on her wrists. And she would encourage her friends to self-harm with her. And sometimes her friends would encourage her sometimes. So this type of situation would be considered as the attention-seeking form of self-harm. But clearly, even from that little I just shared... There was something going on with this teenager that was not healthy and not good, right? She was clearly suffering from a lot of confusing emotional pain. So even though this is debated in the psychology world and that the term attention-seeking has a fairly negative connotation, it doesn't mean that the person is not needing help and support. It means that something deeper is going on and we have to figure out what that is so we, so we can help and support. The second big reason that I want to talk about today of why people self-harm is often self-punishment. So self-punishment isn't super, super common. And even though self-harm is not super prevalent in little kiddos, thankfully, this can often be seen in, in little ones. Like I've seen little kids, they're mad at themselves or they get in trouble. And so then they're upset and they bang their head against the wall. Things like that. That self-loathing, anger at oneself, disappointment in oneself that leads to punishing yourself can be really, really scary and dangerous. And the third reason I want to chat about today that people often self-harm, and the most common reason is as a coping skill. So it's actually really interesting because research says, fancy scientists have looked at this and says that self-injury can actually activate certain chemicals in the brain that relieve emotional stress. So not only is this a coping skill, but apparently it's a coping skill that works. It's temporarily relieving emotional stress. It's like, and this is a very silly example to kind of lighten the mood, (laughs) but when I was little and I would complain and be like, oh, I stubbed my toe and it hurts, my brother would playfully hit me in the arm and say, well, now your toe doesn't hurt. Don't worry. That's a silly example. We were safe. I was never harmed. That's just to show the point that physical pain is often a distraction. And again, unfortunately, it's a distraction that works. You know how some people struggle with alcohol addiction? There's actually a lot of similarities. Using alcohol often becomes an addiction because it's a form of coping. It's not a healthy form of coping, but for a period of time, it works. That's the same with self-harm. People are temporarily relieved of their emotional pain when they're focused on their physical pain, which sucks because that's just causing more pain. Unfortunately, I've worked with a lot of people who have self-harmed. And one of the people I worked with, I will always remember. I mean, I remember all of my clients, but one of the reasons this particular client was so cool was because she was super aware that she was using self-harm as a coping skill. 
she knew that it was a bad coping skill, but she was super aware of like why she was doing it and what was going on in her head. And it was so interesting because she was actually like soothed by the entire process, right? Like she would engage in self-harm activities and then she would clean herself up and put on Neosporin and put on a Band-Aid and the whole ritual around it helped her to at first be distracted from her emotional pain and it also helped her to focus on something other than her physical pain. She like, for lack of a better term, like knew how to self-harm, right? She would wear long sleeve shirts or, you know, self-harm high up enough on her arms that no one would see it. Because she didn't want her coping skill taken away from her. She knew it was bad. She knew it wasn't healthy. She knew she was hurting herself. And that made her sad, which made her need to cope more. And then it's like a vicious cycle, right? So now that we know that self-harm is unfortunately a lot more complicated than we may have originally thought, if you know someone who is self-harming, please, please, please don't freak out. I know that sounds crazy (laughs) because obviously self-harm is very scary, but freaking out in front of the person may just lead them to hiding it more. So often I see, you know, parents of teens and things like that who they find out their teen self-harmed and they're like, oh my gosh, we have to put them on suicide watch. That just led the teen to, you know, withdrawal even more recognize that it's often been the person's only coping skill. And even if we're, we may be freaking out on the inside, doing so towards the person self-harming may just cause more emotional like distress. It's so important to recognize that the person is hurting and that the self-harm is secondary to the emotional pain. So obviously, you know, working with a person to seek counseling and utilize their support systems, it's also often very, very helpful to take away triggers. Like lock up razors, knives, all of that. You know, using that comparison again to people who suffer from alcoholism, what's the first thing we do from someone who struggles with alcoholism? We dump the alcohol down the drain, right? (laughs) It's the same thing. If we can take away the forms of self-harming and encourage the person to reach out if they feel triggered to self-harm, right, that can be really beneficial. Being able to talk about it, being able to say, oh my gosh, I want to self-harm right now, but I know that's an unhealthy coping skill. I need to talk about it can be so helpful. So the client I was just chatting about, the one who was aware that her cutting was a coping skill, she treated her recovery from cutting very much like an addiction. She would celebrate when she had one month free of cutting, two months free of cutting, all of that. And at her six-month mark, she actually got a tattoo to cover up the scars, to make something beautiful out of the scars on her arms. And just... FYI, most tattoo artists are skilled in being able to cover up scars and can be really, really helpful in that. I've seen a lot of tattoo artists that actually will like give a discount or give a tattoo for free if it's to cover up like self-harming scars. So with all that being said, while I know this wasn't the most uplifting episode, it's vitally important to understand self-harm, right? Because we all can relate to needing to cope. I have clients who will say things facetiously like, oh, I'm an emotional cutter. I say that in quotes. They're not physically self-harming themselves, but they're 
engaging in emotional behaviors, being around people that they know are hurting them, things like that. We can all relate to doing things that are not good for us as a way to cope. And that's what self-harm is. And I'm not saying that to minimize it, but to more explain that it's not this weird, oh my gosh, why would anyone think of doing that? Of course, we don't want people to do that, but it's just another way to cope. And if we can figure out better ways to cope and to heal that emotional pain that's making us need to cope in the first place, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? And if you're listening and you're someone who has self-harmed in the past, I hope you're not any longer. I really hope you're not because it's only hurting you. But if you are, I get it. And as much as it doesn't feel this way, I promise it will be okay. Disclaimer. This podcast is produced for your universal listening pleasure. Any statements shared during our program are opinions and experiences of our team and guests. If you disagree with any content presented herein, please find another show before submitting nasty grams. This is a positive vibes only platform. If you love our show and want to connect, share your experiences, or know someone who we should interview on future episodes, please don't hesitate to get in touch through our website or Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program brought to you by Daydreamer Network. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Your feedback allows us to rank on the best new shows list and continue to grow our podcasts in order to bring more unique and talented storytellers to the network. To check out our shows, including programs about relationships, sports, business, nutrition, leisure, and more, head to www.daydreamernetwork.com. We look forward to seeing you back next week for another great episode. Have a wonderful day.